Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hello, Don. J.J., today, we're going to interview Tim Arnold. He's yes. actually I know. We love Tim. I love Tim. Tim is our Toronto representative <laughs> yes. here at Story Brand. He's uh, one of our facilitators, and he actually trains all of our T3 trainers. That is, when corporations send us people to train yep. through the Story Brand framework, go back to their corporations and train all their people. Tim is the guy who does that. Yeah. And he wrote a book. Yes. <laughs> the book is called The Power of Healthy Tension. And I thought when Tim sent me the book that it was going to be about relational tension. Specifically, I thought about you know marriage and maybe yeah. Betsy and I could read this. If there's ever any tension, it would help us navigate that. It's yeah. not what it's about. Yeah. It's actually about the problem of binary thinking, mm-hmm. which this has been a kick for me maybe in the last few months. Yeah. And you know that. That what is frustrating to me especially in the political realm, is the amount of binary thinking we've got right now. Yeah. You are either a liberal or a conservative. You either are for big government or no government. Yeah, you you're are either I- good or bad. There yeah, is no in-between. A politician is either good or bad. Yeah. And when you meet binary thinkers, which most people are, yeah. and we're going to get into why they are, I find myself just shutting up. Yeah. Because I can't say, well, I really like these particular aspects of the Trump tax plan. No, no, no. That's exactly it. Yeah, they villainize. Or the other day I was with some people, they were like, well, I'd rather vote for a jerk than a crook, and Hillary's a crook. No, no. And I didn't have the heart to say, do you realize he's under FBI investigation, and he's not exactly an ethical man, and they're probably going to find something, you know, these kinds of things, because they're thinking in a binary way. Yeah. But the truth is, probably, in terms of humans, we are all great people who are full of crap a lot, too. That would be <laughs> yeah. the truth about yeah. every person. Yeah. Now, so, now, this is not to say... We all some, have a very light and a very dark side to us. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And I am a firm believer that some people who their dark side has gotten a hold of them are dangerous. Yeah. Some of those people need to be locked up, and some of those people, and I know I'm going to offend some people when I say this, I think they need to be taken out. However... I don't think it does any service for us to lose track of the fact that if you really want to understand truth, you have to think in a nuanced way. Yeah. And the reason we don't think in a nuanced way is because what we teach at StoryBrand. Yeah. It's difficult. Yeah. It burns a lot of calories yeah, it's a to lot actually of assess reality. To hold things in tension, it takes a yeah. lot of work. It takes a lot of effort. It's really uncomfortable. Black and white thinking is not only easy, but it's safe. And I think that's why people are drawn to it, yeah. because they can have a sense of control. They can feel like they're in control or they understand the world without thinking very hard. Yep. But those people are very difficult for me to actually have a progressive, by progressive I mean make progress within a conversation about. Yeah. Yeah. So if we're talking about the economy, I would say you've got to give the middle class enough tax rates. Well, you've got to increase their income. You have to increase manufacturing, which means you have to some degree curb some regulation it yeah. gets very complicated very quickly, yeah. and then I'm a villain on both sides. Yeah. Because they're saying, wait, you're saying the thing that the liberals said, and yeah. these people are saying, you're saying the thing that the conservatives said. And the reality is, well, my new mantra is, binary is the enemy of creativity. Yeah. And if you're a binary thinker, you think there are two proposed solutions. Yeah. And that's it. And in my opinion, if you believe that, you are missing 998 other, yeah. um, you know, no, there's pretending a there's a yeah. thousand, yeah. <laughs> but 998 other creative options to yeah. solve this problem, and you're dramatically decreasing the chances that the problem can be solved. Yeah. I know you have some thoughts about this. I blame the media. And I blame the media because it's very hard to sell advertising unless you create tension, and it's easy to create tension when you present binary ideas. Yeah. 
And it's so hard to live in that middle space because... Well, and I wouldn't even say middle. That's where I also think we mess up. Well, I just, I don't even mean middle in between maybe in the sense of or for me. Or elsewhere. Because what's happening between the binary sides is there's a wall being built between them. And when you choose to sit on that wall and speak to both sides, you get arrows and rocks from both sides. Yeah. And that's what is unsafe and very hard. And then just, that's kind of the external piece is getting attacked. But even internally, when you sit there and actually try to hold two things in tension... It's called tension for a reason. You know, mm-hmm. it, there's a pulling against both things of where it's like, I believe this, but I also believe this. And those two things can often conflict and are hard to reconcile. When you try to live in that space, you have to be grounded in a new way that we don't have often time for. Yeah. So just one, I think it is, it's easier to go black and white in your own life. And then it's also easier because from the external perspective, there's less sides that are throwing rocks and arrows at you. That's right. And there's much to be gained. You get a tribe. Yeah. You get to feel secure because your tribe is defending a certain you know scheme of ideas. Yeah. And that makes you feel happy because you have a greater chance of survival if there's a tribe. Where if you step out on a limb, you say, actually, I see part of it your way and I see part of it this way. And actually, I think most of you are missing about 80% of the possible solutions out there. You have no friends. Yeah. There's, yeah. Nobody, there's nobody in your camp. Yeah. And yet that's where Yeah, what, so that's part where we, point, we get it. Yeah. Like we get it. We get why this happens. But at the same time, it's like, man, what if we could find a new way? Yeah. And Tim's point in this book is that if you want to succeed, mm-hmm. you are going to have to think in a nuanced way. You're going yeah. to have to live within certain tensions. Let me give you some examples because people are going, okay, this all seems very ethereal. Probably one of my strengths is vision. Mm-hmm. I see where we can go. And then a pretty good grasp of what is profitable, what's mm-hmm. profitable to do, what is profitable to think, who's profitable to hang out with. It contends with relationships mm-hmm. because relationships are often not very profitable. Yeah, or productive. What I, yeah, what I mean is, you know, we're sitting around, we're having a conversation, and we're rambling about things that don't have anything to do with our goals. Yeah. <laughs> Th- that, those are moments of tension for me. Yes. <laughs> and I have to live within that tension rather than let the goal-oriented, driven side of me say, everybody shut up. I want you to act like a cog in a wheel, and let's all act non-human yeah. and move forward. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the more I learn to live within that tension, that sort of structure, goal-driven, and flexibility, human-driven, the better our company does and the better I do, the more people like me and more people love their jobs and yeah. those kinds of things. So I've learned to kind of live within that tension rather than say, oh, my brother-in-law the other day, his name is Walter, and he's an incredibly talented young man. He's like 25, 26, so he's not far out of college. Mm-hmm. And I was saying, there's a company that is a family company that their family owns. I was saying, I think you'd actually make a great CEO of that company someday. You would need about 10 years to be developed to become that CEO, at least 10 years. I mean, about 35 would be about the time, I would think. Yeah. And he said, well, one of the things I would have to learn is how to not be a people pleaser, because I'm such a people pleaser. And I said, well, stop for a second. Yes, that is true. And anybody who is a jerk is going to have to learn to be a people pleaser. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, so don't think, <laughs> yeah. don't look at that as a negative. You have a real gift there, and yeah. you need to develop this other gift. Yeah. And I think that's what it means to live in tension. Yeah. And this affects more than our careers. It affects our relationship with our spouse. We say, well, there's going to be some structure to our marriage, and then we're going to choose to break that structure, or we're going to be comfortable when that structure breaks down, and then we'll come back to the structure. Yeah. I think it is one of the signs of a more developed mind. I know that's a judgmental statement, yeah. but I believe it. People who can think in a nuanced way and understand the complexity of all issues, yeah. not just some, all issues— and also can turn around and communicate in a simple way. 
(laughs) in order to engage people in the complexity of the idea to make progress. That's why I think this book is valuable. Yeah. And so I thought it was really great. You and I were talking earlier about one of the tendencies that happens in binary thinking, which I think is incredibly damaging, is the villainization of certain characters. Yeah. And so we tend to think, you know, Hillary Clinton is evil or Barack Obama is horrible. As soon as I hear somebody say that, I assume, and I know this is judgmental, I assume ignorance on their part. I assume if they're going to make a blanket statement. A like blanket that. statement that is that strong is helpful if you're trying to get somebody else elected. I'm not saying it's yeah. not. There's a purpose for that kind of thinking. But even then, it's manipulative, right? And then if you actually believe it, then I would say, this is ignorance. And you know, people are like, well, Don, you're like that because you like Obama. No, no, no. I feel exactly the same way when people say that about Trump. It really drives me crazy. Now, I don't think he's a very ethical man. I think he might be a pathological liar. <laughs> yeah. But I think his instincts, especially in the economic front, that I think are extremely strong and very good. Do I think he's a good person? If I had a teenage daughter, would I leave her in a room with him for more than four seconds? Mm-hmm. Zero mm-hmm. chance. Mm-hmm. Do I think he cares about the Ten Commandments? No. <laughs> I mean, you think he's broken all of them. Yeah. I don't think he cares at all. Has he done some good things for the country? Yes. Could he get something done on gun violence? I think he might be the only person who could. Because he, he doesn't care. He's he doesn't care. Yeah. I don't think he cares about his political future. He doesn't seem to. Yeah. But he, he goes, oh, this is stupid. He's the kind of person to go, well, that's stupid. You shouldn't be able to bring that gun into a school. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's yeah. just stupid. He's like that. But when you oppose that universally, when you just say, I hate everything about this person as a villain, you have ceased making progress. Yeah. You're not going to be able to actually get things done if we continue to think in a binary. Binary is the enemy of creativity. You actually were talking earlier about this new Disney technique yeah, and some like, of the stories. It's interesting that some of the movies and stories that are being told now are being told from a villain's perspective or what would be traditionally the villain. So you have, you know, like Wicked is told from the witch's perspective or Maleficent is told from the witch's perspective. <laughs> Maybe it's yeah. just all the witches they're trying to <laughs> you know, tell the, And even in the Batman series, the Joker kind of becomes a little bit of a sympathetic character at times when you're humanized with some of his thinking. And it's a really interesting phenomenon that I'm seeing kind of even in film of trying to tell a story from a different perspective and understand kind of the brokenness of the villain. Yeah. And like you said, that's not to excuse actions on certain people that need to be. No, no, no. Yeah. There Do are not villains. hear us wrong. There are people yeah. you got to take there out. There are villains in the world yeah. <laughs> that need to be handled appropriately. But there's even an approach, I think, even in film now to try to see stories from different sides. Mm-hmm. And it would be interesting if society kind of started taking some of that. We've really created this black and white world where this is good, this is evil, this is wrong, this is right. And it stops conversation. It is one of the marks of a developed culture that the culture itself can engage more dissonance. And you really look and in at debate. That's right. In and, real and, debate, not just shouting. Right. You know, you look at even music and early in a culture's formation, music is extremely simple. And as it gets older and older and older, you have more and more complex music. And then when a new culture is created, it goes back to simple. Yeah. And you know, so it goes from like banging on drums to the new Radiohead record, right? We were just more and more comfortable with dissonance. And I think that's also true with intellectualism. You have this ability to hold seemingly contradictory ideas in your mind. And more primitive thinkers can't do that. The point, the takeaway from this interview (laughs) with Tim is if you want to lead, if you want to change the world rather than divide the world, 
we have to be able to live within healthy tension. If we want to have relationships and not be so controlling and only surround ourselves by people who agree with us about everything, we have to be able to engage and live within healthy tension. You're either going to love this interview or you're going to hate it. <laughs> <laughs> you're either going to love Tim or hate Don, but yeah. those are your only two options. I'd say if you agree, write us here at StoryBrand. If you disagree, write Tim Arnold in Toronto. <laughs> well, anyway, here's my conversation with Tim Arnold. Tim, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. The power of healthy tension. Power of healthy tension. You know what? I find that I have the privilege of working with leaders all the time who have a fantastic plan. We got pretty good people around the table. Yeah. And they still feel like they're stuck and they don't know why. They've got everything in order, but they're just not getting to where they know they're capable of. Yeah. And you know what I look at is one of the main reasons that that's the case is that we're treating everything in our life as if it's a problem to solve. Yeah. Problem to solve, meaning that there's a solution, that there's an answer. And once you have that answer, you're done. And there's lots of things in life that are solvable. There's lots of situations at work, at home, in our relationships that are solvable. But what I'm looking at with this book is the fact that there's a lot of other things in our lives that aren't going to go away. You're really not talking about perfectionism. You're talking about idealism. It is. And it starts think- at a young age. Like I have kids at home. I just, I know even my young guy in grade one comes home. And he knows that if he has an A on that report card, Mm -hmm. good things happen. And he also knows that if there's anything else, that there's ramifications for that. And we're ingrained at a young age to see things as good or bad, right or wrong. And that's not a bad thing. You know, I've got two young kids and I want to make sure that I'm teaching them right from wrong and good and bad. The problem is we start to believe that everything in life is just like that, meaning that it's an either or, that there's one right and one wrong. Yeah. And it sets us up for failure because, as you know, there's tons of stuff in life where it's a both and, where we have to look at something and you realize that, you know, this isn't going away and one side's not right, one side's not wrong, both are right. Well, you get into that in the book. And the title, I was trying to think of what else you could have called this book and I actually couldn't think of anything. But the title, Healthy Tension, doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of the benefit that's in this book. Because really what you're talking about is how to move ahead in life, in business, for real, how it really works. We all think, okay, I've got this idealistic vision. You know, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to be in shape. I'm going to make, you know, several million dollars this year. The company's going to double in revenue, those kinds of things. And we think, okay, I'm going to blast through problems and solve those problems in order to get there. And you're saying, you present this idea. It's not just your idea. I mean, you present it from other people's research that that's actually not how it works, that there's a breathing mechanism, that there is a we used to call it dialectical materialism back when I was a kid, meaning two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back, right? And that's how progress is actually made. And the more we can become friends with that reality, the easier life is and the more progress we actually make because our expectations meet reality. That's great. And breathing is probably the best example. Because yeah, you talk about that in the book. I can't wake up and say, you know what? I think today I'm going to inhale. That's my goal. Right, right. I can try it and it'll work for a moment, but yeah. as if any of us can you know, play out, if I inhale and hold it, before long I'm blue in the face. Right. Meaning that this idea of inhaling and exhaling, it only works when we do both together over time. And what we find in our lives and our relationships and in our leadership is that there's other situations that we face every day where even though it'd be nice to kind of focus on one side over the other, things like planning versus action, you know, embracing mm-hmm. change but holding on to tradition, being structured but also being flexible. Right. I may be biased towards one side over the other, but if I choose one side as my solution, 
I'll actually lose everything I set out to achieve. It's like holding on to breathing. It works for a while. And then I'm like, why isn't this working? Yeah. I want to get into the business applications of this in a second because I think they're profound. But I think we just want to stop and actually explain what we're talking about. You tell the story in the book of when you and your wife had kids. You were expecting. And you began to get unsolicited parenting advice from everybody that you know. Who oh, it's amazing. Kids. The moment that you go live that you're expecting, people come out of the woodwork. They give you books. They point yeah, you yeah, towards yeah. you know webinars. You name it. And they all... For a while, it was great because Becky and I, we didn't babysit a lot. We were both the babies of the family. We thought, okay, this is fantastic. But then probably about six months into Becky's pregnancy, saying, you know what? This isn't helpful because I feel more confused than when I started out because it felt like you either had people coming from one or two camps. Either they were on the structure side. You know, they'd have books on the Ferber approach and routine and consistency. And it's like, okay, I can do that. Or someone would say, no, no, actually, you know, if you look at the most current research or my story, it's all about attachment parenting. It's flexibility. Right. And it didn't help that my wife and I even have a different point of view or a different kind of bias. So we got to the point at six months, we're like, we're done. We're shaking on it. We're not reading books for a while. We're going to stay off the internet for a while. But what we did was we, in its place, we decided that we were going to shortlist three parents or sets of parents that we just deeply admired. That we'd say, if we could just do a bit of that, I feel like we'd be doing okay. Right. So we made our list and we compared our list and we fought for a while. Then we finally got it down to these three parents. And that night we decided we we're going to send out an email and invite them all to our house the following Saturday for dinner. So they, to our amazement, all could make it. So we didn't tell them why. First car drove up and we say hi, you know, open a bottle of wine. 10 minutes later, another car drives up and we introduce them to the other people. And that's great. Well, then two minutes later, the last car drives. So there's a bit of a What's happening here going on? So we said, hey, gang, you probably realize that we invited you tonight with an agenda. So they're they're totally weirded out by us at this point. But yeah. we said, hey, here's the thing. This is the dilemma we're facing. We're stuck. We just, for the night, all we want to hear for the night is what has been your parenting peaks? When have you been at your very best? I don't want to hear the mistakes you made. I don't want to hear you know what you do differently. Just tell me when you've been at your best. So it started out a little slow, but then stories started to come. And as the night progressed... I mean, we probably heard 70, 80 stories, and they were diverse as the day is long. But when they left, and it's interesting, we get together with that. It's been eight years, and we still get together with this group. They've become kind of our yeah, tribe. Yeah. But when we left, we said, you know, a couple things stood out. One is, out of all the stories we heard tonight, no one told us that there's seven steps or five habits, or there's this book that you have to read, which at first was a bit frustrating because I wanted the answer. Again, we're conditioned to want the solution to the problem. Right. It didn't exist. And if I looked at every single story that we heard that night, even though they were as diverse as I said you could get, when you stood back from them, every single story said the same thing. We've been at our best, whether it was one day you know, with one kid or over the long term, we're at our best when somehow we can live in the tension between being on one hand really structured, having mm -hmm. consistency and routine and all that good stuff, we got to do it in a totally flexible way. And you know what worked with this kid totally doesn't work with this kid. And even what <laughs> right. worked with this kid doesn't work the next year. I think when I read that part of the book, I understood kind of intuitively what you were saying, mm -hmm. that it has to be both. Yet my mind had trouble processing that. And I wondered if you would explain that a little bit. They work in contradiction, yeah. and yet they work together. There's two things to keep in mind. One is you know, we are, and I can back this up with quite a bit of research, especially in the West, we are very conditioned to see things from a binary perspective. Right. It's an either or. And it starts at a young age and it doesn't stop. I mean, just look at our political situation right now. It's, right. you know, you're right, you're wrong. People that I agree with are smart. Everyone else is an idiot. I mean, we just have that perspective that, 
kind of works against us because when we encounter things like this parenting example or tons of other examples in our leadership and our organizations, we can't see that this isn't something that's an either or. These are two things like inhaling and exhaling. They, they can they only coexist. exist together. Yeah. One can't exist without the other. And if I try, it's as futile as inhaling all day. You don't talk about this in the book, but I kept coming back to it, right? I've been on a journey. I've gotten much healthier. You know, I'm going to a gym and all those kinds of things. It's been a long journey. It's been pretty successful. One of the things that has made that journey more successful for me is structure and flexibility because I was trying to relate this to my life. The structure is I'm going to go to the gym almost every day, right? I'm going to go almost every day. And the flexibility is after about 30 minutes in the pool, if I want to go home, I can go home. In other words, it's sort of like I'm going to have these rules, but I know if I keep these rules too religiously, I will bail on this program. Am I on to something Totally. And what I love about that is, you know, we're just getting away from the new year, but the new year, everyone has their resolution, right? structure. And they go to podcasts, you know, they go to downloads with these wonderful plans that have seven steps or five habits. They don't work. We know that they don't work. They never worked. And I think part of it is because it didn't get into the underlying kind of reality that I think you're talking about is some of the biggest challenges in life have an underlying tension. And what you're tapping into is I know that if I'm going to be successful at achieving this long-term goal, I've got to do it in a way that's on one hand structured and has a bit of flexibility. Now, it's interesting. You kind of have to dance with it. You do. And it doesn't mean, you know, we would often use the term in North America, well, you just need to find balance. I don't believe it exists because the way that works for you right now may not work next season when you're on the road a lot. Or, you know, how I managed in my health structure and flexibility changed a heck of a lot when I had my first kid. And it's changing a lot now that I'm traveling. So I have to say, okay, what are the, similar to breathing, if structure and flexibility both have to exist, how do I know that I'm getting the upsides of each? How do I know when I'm overdoing it? You know, and you'll know because the moment, I think the structure that you've talked about in your workout routine, it's working well for you. But if you overdo it and you don't allow for that flexibility, you're going to start to resent your workouts. And I think you're getting to the essence of this is I'm actually going to get unstuck and start to see these goals realized because I'm learning what the healthy tension is between the structure I need and the flexibility that I need as well. Well, if you think about just a rod or something that is, you know, slightly flexible, you bend it too much and it breaks, right? We kind of have to learn where to stop. That's right. You use the analogy of a riptide and a wave. Hmm. And I actually, I mean, I had to put down the book and think for a while about this because I found so many other applications for it with people I'm interacting with. I didn't even know this. I've been in the ocean a million times. So I didn't know this. So I knew there was a riptide. But I didn't realize the riptide was channeled almost like a river at points along the shore. That's right. I thought it just came up under the waves. Well, I learned this the hard way. I mean, I'm a Great Lakes person. I've never really been around the ocean. So I spent a week with my university buddies at a reunion doing surf school. Right, yeah. First morning of surf school, our instructor wouldn't even let us go in the water. They said, you know what? Take a look out there. Everyone knows how this works, right? You paddle out and the waves bring you back in. You know, if all the waves are constantly coming to the shore, how's the water get back out? Of course, we're like, what? We just want to surf, you know? But he said, no, think about it. And generally, he was getting to what you're talking about. And that is, you know, conventional wisdom is that the water's constantly coming in. But what you need to be aware of is that there's this other undercurrent going on where the water kind of eddies along the shore and it literally forms a river perpendicular to the shore. It goes literally straight out in the ocean. So the reason I'm telling you this is you don't have to worry about sharks this week. You don't have to worry about anything else except these riptides. Because if you go with what you know, if you go with your conventional wisdom or your bias, You're going to get in one of these. You're going to lift your head. You'll be three times farther out from shore than you thought you'd be. And everything in you is going to say swim to shore Mm -hmm. because that's the way it works. 
But the harder you swim to shore, the farther you're gonna go in the opposite direction, guaranteed. Says you can't do it. You gotta learn to actually pivot, swim parallel to shore, to get out of the riptide, and then go with what you know. Then go kind of back with the waves, let the waves take you in. The analogy is, in our work, in our lives, in our relationships, I think the conventional wisdom, the waves, are kind of this problem-solving mindset that most things are solvable. You know, I'm an accountant by trade, so I'm a fan right. of problem solving. <laughs> right, right. Most things can be solved. There's strategies for this. Just get the right solution and you're done. That's great until you find yourself in one of these tensions. You're dealing with, you know, as a leader, should I be candid and clear or should I be more diplomatic and relational? You know, in my strategy, do I need this you know, hardcore structure, or do we need to be more flexible? You know, moving forward with our company, do we embrace change and innovation, or should we be more kind of traditional core values-based? Right. Well, you know what? Both. And if we just choose one to the neglect of the other, we'll do it for good reasons. But the longer we hold on to one side and not the other, we actually find ourselves going farther and farther and farther from the very place we want to go, yeah. for the reason we're holding on to that in the first place. Now, it's cool. I mean, I saw this in surfing is that, you know, the pro surfers in the morning we get out there, you know, I'd be scared of these riptides. The first thing they do is look for them because they would find them immediately. They'd use them and leverage them and they'd ride them out and they'd say, you know, I'd be flailing and fumbling to get to one good break. They're already on their seventh wave because they've because taken, taken the totally, escalator they've taken right back something out to see, yeah. that could hurt people if they don't understand them and they've actually leveraged them to their advantage. Yeah. And that's ultimately what we're talking about with the power of healthy tension. As I walked around, I was walking the dogs and I was thinking about this idea and I thought, okay, where have I seen this in my business dealings? And really, when we're in business, we spend money and we make money. That's what we do. It's a breathing process. We spend money and we make money. And there have been a few times, I haven't done this, but I've seen my friends do this. And I don't know how naturally I've kept myself from doing this. But they will spend money on something that isn't returning a profit. So they'll put more money into it. And then they'll put more money into it. And they'll put more money into it. And literally, when I talk to them, I feel like you are being sucked out to sea with this thing. And I thought, I was actually going to give a friend this advice. You've got to swim perpendicular, find the thing that makes money and ride it back to shore rather than trying to make this wave happen. It isn't going to happen. And they're doing it for good reasons. They're doing it because they want the upside of spending. That's right. Yeah. They don't realize that they're actually, as you say, just kind of going the opposite way. Well, and this isn't a wave. You're not on a wave. Exactly. You're in a riptide. Yeah. And to be able to identify that, I thought that, that was good. Well, one thing that I learned from your book, and I hope everybody's getting it in this interview, is that the tension is going to exist and it's normal. It's not going away. I remember having a conversation years ago, you'll love this, with a guy named Bob Hinn. Bob Hinn is a friend of a friend, and he happened to be staying at my friend's house, and so we got to spend a lot of time together. Bob invented Gore-Tex. And as we talked, asked him what he was working on now, he said, well, Don, I'm working on a little particle that will only stick to cancerous cells. So you can actually take this particle, you can inject it or take it in a pill, it will only stick to cancerous cells. Well, you can imagine the benefit of that. You fill it with radiation, it'll only stick to cancerous cells. And now you don't have radiation destroying the body, right? I don't know where that is in development, but that's where Bob's brain is. And we were talking about an issue, I can't remember what we were talking about, some problem I was trying to solve. And he said, Don, have you ever heard of so-and-so's theory? It was some scientist theory or whatever. And I said, no. He said, I think you need to understand. It was one of the greatest gifts given to me, and it was given to me in my 20s, was this conversation with Bob. And he said, the theory is that basically nothing is ever on an even plane. You will always be correcting to the left or to the right. I'm giving metaphorically here. You're always correcting to the left or the right. 
And he said, you're looking for absolute balance. And I want you to know it doesn't exist. You will always, always, always be autocorrecting. That's how it works. That's how life works. Well, I, and that I, was one of the great gifts ever given to me because when everybody else was getting frustrated because they couldn't fix it, I thought, you don't fix it. You just keep moving forward. It's just like walking. You balance, right? You never have perfect balance. You're always autocorrecting as you walk along. Well, and I think that's a very powerful message. I would say you can go further than that. And the more you choose to take on hard challenges, the more you're in the leadership space, the more you're tackling some issues in your community or you're doing the hard stuff, I think it intensifies times 10. You all of a sudden yeah. saying, I'm going to put myself in a role where even though people may say they've got easy answers, it doesn't exist. Because if it did, people would have figured this out by now. I'm choosing to be in more tension. And the leaders that really stand out are the leaders that do that well, that realize that this is a challenge. These tensions aren't going away. Mm -hmm. What I'm going to do is actually leverage them, lean into them, and use them as a competitive advantage. Give me some examples of where this shows up for somebody in business. Where do they see this? Well, the one thing is you're not going to hear this podcast or read a book and say, oh my gosh, now I have to start managing tension. You've been managing your whole life. Right. You know, you manage, you know, even the idea of work and home, like that's something you're constantly working at. Some of us do it better than others. But if I gave you a list of all the tensions you're managing, you'd be overwhelmed. Right, and the yeah. cool thing is you don't need to be because you're doing okay. It's just intuitive. That said, I think the first step that allows us to tap into the power of healthy tension is that out of all the tensions that are out there, you've got to decide on the one or two that you feel for you are make it or break it. This is the one. Maybe it's overarching for our company. Maybe it's just based on where we're at right now. You know, I talked earlier about embracing change, but also holding on to core values. Right. Saying right now, gang, we got to keep our eye on this because we got to do both well. Even though we're going into a change season, we got to hold on to that kind of what makes us great and what we're known for. Years ago, I was able to make some career moves. I sold a company and I moved into a space where I was running out of all things a homeless shelter. So it was brand new to me. You know, the learning curve was steep, but it didn't take long, you know, when I started to talk to the leaders around the table that said, gang, you know, we can have wonderful values on the wall and we can have beautiful website copy on how we want to care and transform the community. What we got to learn to do are two things. Number one, we got to constantly, unconditionally accept people. You know, no matter what people have done, no matter what they've been, we accept them no matter what. But that only works when we hold each other accountable. Yeah, it's kind of like the gentle love and the tough love. Right. Uh, we also have to, you know, be a place that's completely consistent. You know, there's no favoritism. You know, it's good for you. It's good for you. But you also got to remember that everyone who comes through our doors has different ability levels, different backgrounds. What you're capable of may not even be possible for you. So we got to live in this tension between unconditional acceptance and accountability, and every day we got to realize that we're going to be feeling the tension of consistency and individuality. And I want everyone in our organization to have that language. I want everyone to be okay with the fact that we're never going to have a team meeting where that doesn't surface. We're never going to have an issue where it doesn't come back to those things because that's the business we're in. If we can get that in our heads, if we can find healthy tension, we're actually going to do some pretty powerful work. Yeah. And again, we're not going to get it right. We're not going to perfect it. That's not the point. You the point will is not to solve manage it. the tension. I'll be back with the rest of my interview with Tim Arnold in just a moment. Right now, I want to talk to JJ Peterson. JJ, you are one of our private workshop facilitators. Yes. Even though you're chief of staff, you still go out and do some private workshops. Yeah. We have, what, six private workshop Se facilitators? Seven people now who That's go out amazing. and do that. Yeah. And what happens is these companies bring you guys in, mm -hmm. one of our seven facilitators, and you go through a day and a half process in which you clarify 
your message. Yeah. And at the end, you actually learn how to wireframe website, those yeah. kinds of things in order to do something with your message that gets you a massive return yeah. on your investment. I just wanted the audience to hear, because a lot of people don't know we actually do this. Yeah. What happens at a private workshop? How does it start? And who's in the room? Yeah, well, these are actually still some of my favorite things to do because we get to work with yeah, I know. so You're, many different uh, kinds uh, of companies. You also cherry pick. You're always I do. like <laughs> I do. sports teams. I pick my favorite. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Los Angeles, New York. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, cities that you want like to go to. with an adventure company that takes kids on adventures overseas or Ergo Baby yeah. or you know Mitsubishi Caterpillar, like all these different companies that I get to go in and work with, which is so fun. But the way that it works is... We have about 20 people in the room who are all there to get on the same page about their message. Are so they sales teams, marketing teams, little, It can C-suite. be anything. So depending on what your company is looking for. So sometimes it's sales teams, sometimes it's marketing, sometimes C-suite, but usually it's a combination. So you of just look that. around the office and see who's confused about what you do. Well, and they want to the get, a lot of these companies are just confused about what their messaging is. Like they've been maybe around a long time, but they are not cohesive in their message. Everybody's telling a different story. And so we'll get the head of Which marketing. Which often is a sign of success. Yeah. When you keep adding revenue streams, exactly. keep adding people and keep doing what Growing. works, suddenly you go, what do we do again? Nobody yeah. can explain it. And the owner thinks that it's still the way it was 15 years ago, yeah. but none of these new people have ever really heard or had it articulated what yeah. the vision of the company is and what you're doing and what you offer people. They're growing. They're good companies who are growing and doing great things. And, and so, inside language creeps in yeah. and you start talking to yourself. Yeah. So we get everybody in the room and first we just start out by identifying the story brand framework, essentially helping them see how story works, why story is important, and why clarity is key to growing their business. Then we actually introduce the story brand framework and teach it to them. Over a day and a half. Over a day and a half. And the way that we do that is help them create their messaging through the framework. And that messaging, it ends up being a brand script. That is the story that you invite customers into. Because we teach, don't tell your story. Invite customers into a story because that's what every customer really wants. And you leave with seven messages that you can use to populate all of your marketing, your elevator pitches, your internal communication, your human resources on-ramping so that everybody knows exactly why this company exists and exactly what they offer the customer and nobody is confused. Yeah, and so we create that and then at the end, we kind of take the last little bit to really then talk about application, how to use it in email campaigns, wireframe your new website, create elevator pitches. We were just with this company in Nebraska and at the end, we came up with their elevator pitch and about two minutes after you go through the framework. Yeah, it's easy. Yeah, after you've already established the brand script and the story, it took us about two minutes to come up with their elevator pitch and they said we've been trying to do this for 20 years and not been <laughs> I able always, to I always say that. I always hear yeah. it would have taken us six months if we'd have applied yeah. ourselves to this and by the time you go through this in a day and a half you can do it in two minutes you I mean, just got really. an email from yes. one of our favorite clients yeah from cauliflower foods and they do cauliflower pizza crusts and things like that and it's for good for who, like yeah if you're yeah. like on an Atkins diet or a low carb diet yeah. or, or gluten free yeah. you know so yeah they sent me an email because we're getting together I'm actually going to be doing a cooking show with them. I like love a, it, JJ. They can't like steal a, you. No, no, no. We're just doing a one night like YouTube. So I'll let you know when that happens. Right. But anyway, she emailed and said, you know, that over this last year, their company has gone from 250000 to $7 million in one year. And that's and, the power of creating a clear <laughs> message. Yeah. And she says, in one year with a huge credit to StoryBrand for helping us with our messaging. And I love that. And I love that, you know, you don't have to beat your head against the wall. Yeah. You've perfected your product, or at least you got it good enough where people are buying it, they're enjoying it, the surveys are coming back well. You got the right people around you. 
Yeah. And you're just putting the wrong message into the marketplace, and that's why you're not growing. Yep. And what an easy thing to fix yeah. in a day and a half. Yeah. Listen, if you want a private workshop, if you want somebody to come into your company and help you clarify your message so that your marketing collateral starts working and your people know exactly why you exist, and your customers can, in under a second, yeah. understand why they would need your product, there's money there. And the return on your investment is incredible. Just go to storybrand.com slash private workshop, storybrand.com slash private workshop. Apply today so that we can send a facilitator to you and get your message crystal clear. The problem is your message. And it's a problem that is very easy to fix. Storybrand.com slash private workshop. JJ, thanks so much. No problem. We can go back to my interview with Tim Arnold. Let me just read, you've got 25 examples of healthy tension here. I actually want to read them all. Because people, I know they're listening to this and they're going, where does this show up? And I think everybody's going to go, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I should say, I appreciate that. It's also, this isn't just for me. This is, you know, Jim Collins, some of this is from the book Good to Great. Right. Dr. Barry Johnson did tons of work on complexity and polarity. So this is just what research would say are the most common tensions that leaders face. Task-focused and relationship-oriented. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's, yeah, I deal with that every day. Truthful and candid, tactful and diplomatic. My goodness. Did you write this for me Is this <laughs> after watching? Data-driven and people-driven, directive and participative, control and empowerment. That's a tough one for a lot of leaders. Critical analysis and encouragement, conditional respect and unconditional respect. Give freedom, hold accountable, confidence and humility, grounded and visionary, structure and flexibility, planning and execution, Logic and gut feeling, work and home, care for self, care for others, mission and margin, deep understanding and simplicity, focus on short term and focus on long term, preserve tradition and stability and stimulate innovation and change, manage costs, manage quality, recognize the individual, recognize the team, competing with others and collaborating with others, diverse individuals and unified teams, centralized coordination and decentralized initiatives, care for my part of the organization and care for the whole organization. I think every one of those, when I read them, I thought, I deal with that tension all the time. I deal with that tension and all the time. I, and you've been very helpful because I always thought they were problems to solve. I think that's the whole point of this interview, is that if you can get that paradigm shift, that it's not a problem to solve, it's a tension to manage. You and I will sit progress. together a year from now, and all of these will still be relevant. They're yeah. not going away. Right. So, I don't say that to be overwhelmed. Actually, it's super encouraging. I use the term in the book, seeing is relieving. Once you see that and you're saying, okay, I'm not doing something wrong. This is just the way the world works. Now, I go farther though, Don, and say, as much as I bet every one of those 25 tensions you can relate to, I would say for where you're at in your business and where you're at in life right now, there's probably only two or three that are make it or break it. I call it a crux tension. It's that if you just focus on those few, the other ones will take care of themselves. Well, and I want to get into that too. You have four steps or four ideas that really help us manage and create and live within healthy tension. The first is, you just said it, identify your crux tension. Then mind your bias, learn the language, and make informed decisions. You're saying there's three or four that at any given time are the ones that are really frustrating me, or how do I know it's a crux tension? Well, you know it's a crux tension because I call it a chronic issue. It's the stuff where when I work with organizations, they say, I can't believe we're talking about this again. Right. You know, it's the pendulum that feels like our organization swings this way and then we swing right back to where we started. Right. And what I would say is then you're responsible to let your organization know that's okay. We want to deal with this. This is the business that we're in. As we said earlier, I had this wonderful evening where my wife and I, by the end of the night said, oh, 
So structure and flexibility is the crux for us. If we can just be okay with it, knowing that we'll never solve it, but we're always gonna just try to live in that in a healthy way, we might just do okay. In the homeless shelter, we realize that unconditional accepting everyone, but also holding them accountable, that's gonna really be where success happens. Not one or the other, it's gotta be both. I work with organizations and I had an amazing opportunity to work for a number of years with the United Nations and we worked with weapons inspectors. And you know, you'd think these are the most brilliant people I've ever been around, but what they started to realize is that, you know, out of the 55 nations that are making up this room, we've got a tension that we need to name. And one is, on one hand, we're here because of kind of centralized coordination. We want to have good safeguards in place so our planet's safe. But we also got to respect the fact that everyone has kind of decentralized initiatives. Each country is saying, hey, I want us to do well with nuclear energy, but I also need to have freedom so that I can use nuclear energy in our country for cancer research, right. or I can have some freedom in how I use energy. And instead of us being divided, let's just embrace the fact that we'll never as a team, you know, 55 countries in the room work well until we get our head around this tension's not going away. And we're gonna actually serve the world better if we can name it, we can understand when it's healthy, and we can also kind of have indicators of when it's off. You know, I call it going back to the breathing metaphor. It's almost like when you inhale and hold it, before long, something feels wrong. Right. Well, the same thing happens in our leadership, in our organizations. You can't put your finger on it, but you're like, something's just off right now. Yeah. It's helpful to say, okay, you know what? It's this crux tension again. So, you know, the first step, and if you do nothing else, I think it's just game-changing for a leader to say, okay, this is it. This is the one that I'm going to just be relentless on focusing on and you know, not let it carry me out to sea, but instead I'm going to leverage it. I'm going to take advantage of it. Okay. Once we identify the crux tension, as you're talking, I think in StoryBrand, our organization, we're growing fast, big double-digit growth, and it is vision meets opportunity. You know, We cast a vision for the year, and then there's opportunities that kind of take us off the vision that we cast in the year. And I'll have people come back to me and say, in addition to what we said we were going to do, we're also going to do this. And you can feel the frustration, but you said we were going here, and we are indeed going there. We don't change that. But then we're adding these other things. Things change, and that's a crux tension. It sure is. So at the same time, you're sounding like if that's a tension, and it's not a big tension with us, but let's just use that as an example. You're sounding like I need to focus on that or something. I don't, I don't want to get to, into the solving the tension problem. You need problem. to, first of all, on your own saying, this is one that matters. This one has to be healthy. If we're going to ultimately achieve what I feel we're capable of, then this has to be healthy breathing. Right. And if I work with others, they need to know that. They need to know that it's not, you get a few people that you know believe this a point of view, or are we taking risks that we shouldn't? Saying, gang, if we can solve this well, and it's not solved, we can manage this well, we're going to really it seems like through. 90% of managing is just everybody understands that it exists and it's going to be okay. Just don't let any part of it get out of hand. Well, and be aware. You know, this is when we want to have language and we want to even talk about how do we know when this is unhealthy? What's it look like? So, you know, I think a scalable version of what you just talked about for StoryBrand is something that every entrepreneur faces, which is the tension between gut feeling and logic. Right, right, right. You know, and generally, entrepreneurs are biased towards gut feeling. So that's not a bad thing. The problem is, when is that, and I think it's connected to the story you told earlier about your friend, when is that actually starting to be just not wise? Mm -hmm. And when do I need to hold on to a bit of logic so that I don't overdo it? So you need indicators and sometimes people in place to help you make sure that that's being managed well. And this is where a team is a wonderful thing because either these tensions are going to divide your team or they're going to be the reason that your team thrives. Right. It's going to say, gang, 
we don't want you to all meet in the middle. We want people with biases to be, you know, see things the way you see them, but we want to really leverage each other's perspective so that together we manage this really well. So you have biases in the room, but then you have an agreement to compromise as we move forward. And not always compromise. There's times, I mean, I'm talking about in some of the situations I've been in, you know, we'll make a decision in the moment that may be you know, on your side, we're going to really take a flyer with this. Well, that's a decision really strongly towards kind of the gut feeling, but that's not us all the time. And it's us saying, okay, let's just realize that right now we're kind of leaning towards this side, but this isn't our solution to our organization. And there's some people at this table right now that have a much stronger bias towards kind of logic and groundedness. We need you right now to hold us and make sure that this flyer actually works. Totally. The first step is identify your crux tension. The second step is mind your bias. I heard you say it a second ago. What do you mean by okay, that? Okay, so, I mean, mind is generally be mindful of. You know, you go right. uh, tell my kids to mind their manners. It's pay attention to it, right? A bias is just a perspective, a point of view. So if I know I'm going to be biased toward gut instinct, would minding it be I need to invite more logic and more data-driven? Yeah, what it wouldn't be is trying to change. I would say whatever your biases are at this stage in life, they're probably not going to change, nor should they. This is why you can bring a unique perspective to the world. Where we need to be mindful of our bias is when we start to believe that our bias is always the right answer. Hmm. Or what's worse, and we see this in our political world all the time, we actually start surrounding ourselves with people who only share our bias. Right, right. So all of a sudden, we feel affirmed in it, which means that anyone who doesn't share that point of view obviously just doesn't get it. Mm-hmm. You know, and we see this happen in teams all the time. We have teams that are polarized because you know a leader with a bias starts to just attract people who share his or her point of view. Meanwhile, there's other people that just feel like they don't fit in. Being mindful is saying, hey, this is the way I see the world. I'm going to fully lean into, you know, showing you my perspective, letting you know how I think it can help us move forward with the company, and I desperately need that other point of view. I use the word embrace your opposite. Doesn't mean that I'm going to tolerate. You know, I live in Canada where we, you know, we really like tolerance and tolerance is great, <laughs> yeah. but it's not good enough. Tolerate means that you endure, you put up with. That's not what I'm talking about. Embracing your opposite is that okay, this is my bias. There's someone in my life, ideally on my team, who sees the world differently than me. You know, embrace means to hug. Now, I may not go literally give them a hug, but it's saying, I give you permission to speak into what I'm doing. Like, call me on it. If you feel like I'm overdoing my, you know, a great example in organizations is there's usually people who have a bias towards change, and there's usually people who have a bias towards kind of stability and core values. You know, rather than just find people who are kind of change folks like me. It's saying, no, you know what? I want you to call me when you think I'm leading us down the wrong path. That's powerful. Step three, learn the language. Well, it's funny because, you know, a lot of people speak more than one language, but you always have a first language. Right. And your first language is where you're comfortable. I believe that most people's first language is problem solving. You know, we look to look at a situation and say, oh, well, that's right, that's wrong. This happens, you know, when you're dealing with a really complex issue in the organization and someone who hasn't been around for very long says, obviously, you should just do this. Inside, you're like, ah, it's got to be harder than that. You know, that problem-solving language isn't serving us well. So I'm not saying change your language. I still use problem-solving language when I'm dealing with facts, figures, policies, procedures, rules. I use problem-solving language often with my kids. But when I'm dealing with attention to manage and I deal with it like a problem, meaning that one side's right and the other side must be wrong, what I'm gonna actually do is drive people the other way. 
You know, I call it a tug of war conversation. I just hold on to my side. And even though I'm trying to explain to the other person with the opposite point of view why I'm right, what I'm actually doing is making them pull the other way because they see something true as well. And they're like, he just doesn't get it. It's a different type of language. It means that we have to be much more curious. We actually have to realize that there's power in getting away from maybe our positions and just focus a bit on interests. You know, don't tell me, you know, this has to happen. What's behind it? What are you trying to achieve? And what happens, Don, and I see this all the time, is that if we can take a step back from just talking about the position that we want and talk about the interest behind it, we realize mm, that even yeah. though you and I feel like we're at a different place, we share a ton. Give me an example of, of a time when you've been able to have that breakthrough. Oh, I mean, I'll go back to when I was running a homeless shelter. We had a situation where, you know, there was someone who used a substance on our property that wasn't allowed, which right. generally means that person has to leave. And, you know, in our staff, we generally have two camps. We have our <laughs> resident service <laughs> the managers. Grace camp yeah, and they get well, out Well, pretty camp. much. Yeah, yeah. So our managers kind of manage the floor. They're running, you know, 40 to 50 people living in the shelter, yeah. 50 people eating there. And they're very much on the consistency point of view. Well, I've also got coaches. Coaches work with everyone one-on-one. -on -one, so they know everyone's story. And they know that, you know, fairness isn't that everyone gets treated the same. It's that everyone gets what they need. So normally it's fine. We have our managers that have this consistency bias. We have our coaches that want individuality. And they tease each other, but they do okay. Well, every now and then, though, we have a situation like what I said to you where things don't go well. And we had this individual made a decision to use a substance on property. Normally, what that would mean is that they need to leave for a few days. We'd work with them to get into a detox facility, but that has to happen. That's kind of in our guidelines. Well, of course, our consistency folks, our managers, like, there's no question. This person has to leave for lots of reasons. It's for their safety. It's because we don't want other people to feel like that's okay. You know what? I just suspended someone last week for that. I don't want them to think I'm favoring. So obviously the position is this person has to leave. Well, then you have a coach who says, just wait a minute. I totally hear what you're saying. But when you think about the change in this person's life in the last year, it's been unbelievable. And what's interesting is that you may not know this, but this person in 24 hours is getting into long-term drug treatment. And we've been around this long enough to know that when people are about to take that step, they self-sabotage, they make bad decisions. We know that we should expect it. And here's the thing, if you have this person leave tonight, they're not going to treatment tomorrow. Like we may never see them again. Well, this conversation became literally polarization and you just affirm and support people who share your point of view. The coaches are patting each other on the back and it's this tug of war feel. And I remember someone on my team actually said this. They said, this person, deserves a better conversation than we're having. Hmm. They deserve yeah. better than yeah. we're doing right now. So let's just do a few things. First of all, let's stop talking about it as if it's a binary option. Either this person leaves or not. Talk about what's behind it. What are the interests behind it? I watched this happen, it was quite powerful. Managers saying, you know what, at the end of the day, it's been a bit of a rough season for a bit of a drug culture. We just want that to change. And we really, really wanna make sure that people know this is a safe place. Well, you know what, Don? Everyone shared that view. Like, well, we want that too. Well, you know, the coach said, hey, I understand that, but I just want this person to go to treatment. And well, everyone wanted that. So then it opens up the world to saying, well, maybe there's other options. Maybe if we back away from one option or the other, there's things that we're not thinking about. Right. And, you know, in this situation, it kind of leads to the next step and the final step yeah, in the, the model step, make is informed we actually decisions. start to make more informed decisions yeah. because we're not seeing things just from our part truth. We're seeing things kind of the whole truth. It's a different full perspective. And that's perspective. half the battle, isn't it? To say, and we've been saying this around StoryBrand lately, binary is the enemy of creativity. Mm -hmm. That if you really mm -hmm. only think there are two options, 
you know, I'm going to make this up here. There are 998 that you're not considering. Yeah. And a lot of them, you know, of course I think you're being up, conservative. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, this example, even to bring some closure here, you know, this is when all of a sudden people who were at once literally minutes ago polarized are starting to collaborate saying, okay, you know, we can't do this often because we don't have the kind of scale to do this. But what if we get a couple volunteers involved that are connected to this person's life? We literally form a circle of support for the next 24 hours. We go to treatment, but we actually go with this person. And we don't let this person get out of our sight literally until we drive them to treatment. Well, we can't do that often, but we could do that at that moment. And we yeah. did that. And that yeah. person, you know, got there. And it was a, a situation to me that if we treated that like a problem to solve, everyone lost. That person lost, our team got more divided, but because we had a bit of understanding that, okay, gang, back up, this is one of those crux tensions. You know, this is that consistency, individuality tension. We can do better than this. And that's the idea is that we make better decisions once we start to go through these steps. Well, the book is called The Power of Healthy Tension, Overcome Chronic Issues and Conflicting Values. Again, I think there's a lot more in this book than just, it sounds like a book about managing tension in relationships. That's what I thought when I picked it up. It's really not. It's about managing the reality of this life. And I think great leaders understand this. Most of them understand it intuitively. And those who wreck themselves in organizations, they're stuck in a riptide. They only see one part of it, and they don't see the other part. And they don't know how to intuitively dance with the dynamic of reality. Well, and leaders that continue to solve problems well, because that's important. We still want to solve problems well, but they complement that by also managing really key tensions in a healthy way. They just totally stand out. They outperform everyone yeah. else. Well, that's why we had you on, Tim. Thanks. Thank you. So, okay, let's test this, JJ. Yeah. You either think in binary or you don't. Yeah, there's a fork in the road. You got to go right or you got to go left. That's all I'll tell you. Either binary or no. <laughs> and you're you're and either you, binary or you're and not. And if you think binary, you're... Evil, you're, you're, a villain. you're a villain. And if you don't, you're, <laughs> you're <good>. a hero. <laughs> Here's the reality. I think you have to live in the tension between binary thinking and nuanced yeah. thinking. I uh, don't think it's all in nuanced thinking. Life would be unmanageable yeah. if you didn't actually falsely categorize things yeah. into binary. Well, I'll tell ways. you a truthful binary. Um, okay. I love Tim Arnold. <laughs> like that is just like Tim Arnold is magical. So he really is. I'm, and I'm okay standing in that truth. And congrats on the book, Tim. The book is called The Power of Healthy Tension. Yeah. And he did a great job with it. You can get the book on Amazon. Is it available in the United States? Is our yep. Canadian friends only available in Canada? The book is in Canadian. <laughs> yeah. So when you so, buy it, <laughs> yeah, be you have aware. To deal with the AIDS. Yeah, and there's the, a lot of boots. So many maple syrup analogies. Yeah. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of moose just running around in the backyard when he's talking about family and it's, time. It's, it's written so politely <laughs> <laughs> because all Canadians are polite. They're wonderful people, also or, binary. Or they're not. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's new record, Dive Deep, on Spotify or iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose noise is the enemy and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business 